Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to SEAC Stories, brought to you by the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at the University of Sydney. This podcast tells the stories of our members. I'm your host, Natalie Pearson. Since 2000, there has been a boom in Indonesian popular novels and films set overseas, showing young Indonesians living in foreign countries and having life-changing adventures there. In the last 20 years alone, there have been at least 150 novels and films released, many more than in the first 55 years of Indonesian independence. Associate Professor David Reeve is going to be speaking to us about the diasporic imagination in recent Indonesian popular novels and films. He's been visiting Indonesia for over 50 years as a diplomat, researcher, historian, lecturer, language teacher and project manager. He was a founding figure in Australian studies at Universitas Indonesia in the 1980s and was resident director of the Australian Consortium for In-Country Indonesian Studies program in Yogyakarta in the late 1990s. He's worked in eight Indonesian universities and several in Australia. He's retired from University of New South Wales, Sydney, and is now completing a biography of Indonesian historian Ong Hok Hum to be published in January 2020. David, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. So we're going to be talking about novels and films. How did you get interested in this topic? Well, it was an accidental topic in a way, because from 210, I've been interested in the Indonesian historical diaspora. That's the Indonesian Malay populations of countries like South Africa, the Cape Malays, Sri Lanka, the Sri Lankan Malays, and the mostly Javanese communities of Suriname and New Caledonia. So I've often been hanging around bookshops in Indonesia looking to see if there's anything, unlikely, on the diaspora. When I was looking for that historical diaspora, to my surprise I found the diaspora turning up in Indonesian popular novels, which I hadn't seen before. And I started collecting them and then finding the films as well. And so it jumped out of the bookshelves at me. I didn't realise its significance at the beginning. But then, as you said, I realised how many have been published and produced in the last uh, 20 years. That's about 112 books and 38 films. Have you read all of them and seen all of the movies? I'm frightened to do so because there's a certain Mills and Boone romantic quality to a lot of them. And at my age, I have to think how to use the years I've got left. And reading Indonesian Mills and Boone doesn't seem one of the most productive ways to use those years. Indeed. Um, Is that the only genre? Are they all romance novels and films? The great bulk of them are romances about young middle-class Indonesians living in almost 30 different countries overseas. I'd say there there are a few minor genres. There's an Islamic group, as you'd expect, And so they're quite interesting because it puts the uh, Muslim traveller, the jilbab traveller, as one of them's called, in a society that uh, isn't Muslim. So that creates a a potential for interesting issues to be explored. There's another small group which I'd think of as fictionalised autobiography. And these people actually did it and then wrote it as a novel, changing their names. And then a small recent group, is uh, where I think established authors, people who've established them outside the field, have started using the diasporic theme. I'm thinking of Leila Khudori's Pulang, which is mostly in Europe, and then there are a couple of other 
established authors. But most of these authors were not established authors before they took up the uh, diasporic novels. They've become famous by doing that. Um, you've just mentioned The Jilbub Traveller. Is that actually the name of the book? Yes. That's a great name. I think it's called Jilbub Traveller Love Sparks in Korea. <laughs> Do you have any other examples of the titles of these novels and films? There's Love in Sydney. There's even Love in Perth. Melbourne Rewind. Akira, Muslim, Watashi Wa, Wa Asalam Alaikum Beijing. Ilana Tan, one of the major writers, has written Autumn in Paris, Summer in Seoul, Spring in London, and Winter in Tokyo. Ilana Tan is, I think, a pseudonym. She's swathed in mystery. And then there's a series called Around the World with Love, with 18 titles so far. This is a big group of books and novels, and it's a large number of publishers, mainly Gramedia, but lots of others. There's quite a large number of film companies that are making movies, and now actually press writers who've written scripts that don't have overseas scenes in them to put overseas scenes in. And then there's a whole list of authors. So I think this is quite a new industry. I think you've really identified a phenomenon here. I have lots of questions. I, I guess the first one is, who is the audience for these books, other than Indonesian studies scholars lurking in bookshops? <laughs> one of the factors, of course, has been the, the rise of a middle class, which can do two things, can actually go overseas or dream of doing so, and a, a middle class that supports writers in a way that was rarely true before this part of Indonesian independence. So that middle class which can travel or lower class people who can dream of travel, uh, those social developments have, uh, I think, created an appetite for it. And I'll just point out that these films and books are part of an explosion of travel literature in general. So there's a whole lot of uh, podcasts and blogs and TV programs about overseas travel. So these, these don't stand by themselves. They are part of a great interest in travelling. I think you'd also have to add that cut-price airlines have developed such a lot over the last 20 or 30 years. So Indonesians can realistically think, I might do that, even if they don't. Another factor I'd mention is that I think there's been a great boom since the 90s, as you know, of Japanese comics and then K-pop. And so I think Indonesian reading audiences, and a lot of the people who buy these obviously won't travel themselves, but they can dream of it in a way they didn't in earlier years. They're getting more used to there being overseas locales and overseas characters. So you mentioned Korea earlier. Mm -hmm. um, you've mentioned Sydney, Perth and Melbourne. One of the titles was something along the lines of Watashiwa, so it's Japanese. Are these novels being set in particular countries? Are there some countries that are very popular and others that are omitted completely? Yes, they certainly are. I, I wonder what you'd guess, if I can test you, you'd think it would be the most popular country for Indonesians to have a romance in. My guess would be France. It's France. The numbers change from year to year, of course, but there's a, about six or seven top countries. So that's France's number one, with about 18. Australia is second, 15. Japan, the US, continental Europe, and then 
the UK. They're the ones that have more than 10. Then Egypt with seven, China with four, and there's about 30 countries overall that are included. But as you say, there are emissions. It's really interesting to see half of the world that isn't there. All of Russia, except for Russia proper, that great swathe, just about all of Africa, all of South America, most of Southeast Asia, though there's one in Timor-Leste and one in Cambodia, and then all of the Southern and Central Asia, so most of India, Pakistan, uh, Myanmar, all of those countries. That is absolutely fascinating. And India is omitted as well? I think there's one. Okay. I'm really intrigued to hear there's one set in Timor-Leste and Cambodia, but um, what, what does this tell us about the Indonesian diasporic imagination? It's that the middle-class imagination is quite different from where Indonesians actually go because there's a whole other set of Indonesians who travel, and that's the Indonesian workers, the TKI, TKWI, who go overseas in their millions and live overseas, but go particularly to uh, the Middle East, Hong Kong, of course also Japan and Korea, that uh, their experiences are not part of this literature. I know there are people who are working hard to assemble some of the literature from that working-class diaspora, but this is not it. This is the middle-class imagination of where to go for romantic adventures. France, Australia, Japan, the US and Europe. Those countries all just scream romance to me. I want to ask you, in these novels, to what extent do they engage with the local culture in the novels? Does it accurately represent a French experience, for example, or is it more about the Indonesian people themselves who happen to be in France, for example? You're quite right on your second point. It's the involvement with the countries that they're in is mainly coffee bars, tourist sites, trains, boats, travel. It's an extension of the tourist experience. What I'd say, so many books and films, that it's hard to generalise, but in general I'd say that the foreign countries provide exotic locales for Indonesians to have adventures with other Indonesians. So there's a great absence of characters and indeed culture apart from tourist sites of the countries they're in. It's almost like they are simply supplying the backdrop, whether it's the Champs-Élysées or the Sydney Opera House, for example. Yes, but it's very popular. The other thing that's interesting about these Indonesians overseas is there's a terrific absence of parent figures. Uh, I think that's an essential part of the freedom. They can go overseas free of the supervision of parents, and the problems at home and of family, and then they can interact with the freedom that they don't have at home. Are these novels and films being consumed by Indonesians living outside Indonesia? You, you referred to domestic workers, for example. Are they consuming these novels and films? I don't know. I imagine they are because these films are very popular. See, the films are a very good vehicle for fantastic-looking locales and then a love story and then a fair bit of comedy. There's some comic elements in the novels, some of them are quite funny, but it's the films above all which go for the romantic comedy in a gorgeous locale. 
Do you want to sketch out a rough plot for us of one of these novels or films? Well, normally there'd be, say, four to six young middle-class Indonesians, young men and young women, say in their 20s to their early 30s, and they've left Indonesia and they've usually left problems behind, usually romantic problems. They've had a disappointment. They meet up with other new Indonesian friends, sometimes where they're studying, sometimes where they're working, sometimes through other sorts of social groupings, and the interactions among them create new romantic possibilities. And of course, there are troubles and ups and downs and problems and disillusionment, but eventually love conquers all. They fall in love and then everyone can go home to Indonesia. And is that normally how it ends, with people returning to Indonesia? Yes. That's another factor, I think, that influences uh, this industry is that Bollywood has, over the last 20 years, quite often made Bollywood films set in foreign countries. I think that impact has helped stimulate the growth of the Indonesian ones, along also with the technological advantages of cameras being much easier and more mobile than they were. So it's much easier to film overseas if you can get there. But in the Bollywood films, love conquers all and people can go home triumphant. They don't choose to stay on. Of course, in many Bollywood films, there's a bit of singing and dancing. Do we see that in the Indonesian films? I've not seen that at all. I hope to see some, but not at all. That sounds like a missed opportunity to me. Yes. What is the relationship between these novels and films and the lived experiences of male and female overseas workers from Indonesia? Well, I think the overseas workers have it pretty hard, and these people don't have it hard. They have emotional problems, but basically they're well to do enough living on a scholarship or money from their parents. It's focused on their adventures with other Indonesians in coffee shops and tourist sites and so on. So what is the significance of this boom? How do you understand it? What I'm interested in is a parallel with Australian literature about Asia. Because there used to be Australian novels, sometimes films, this is before the 80s, set in Asia. And just like these Indonesian novels and films, there was a lack of characters from the Asian countries. It was a background, an exotic locale. But then there was a time around 1978 to 80 where I thought there was a change in the Australian literature of Asia, because you had three Australian writers who sat down to write an Asia novel, not knowing the other ones were. So there was um, A Cry from the Jungle Bar, set in the Philippines, Robert Drew. There was Year of Living Dangerously by Chris Koch, and then Blanche Dalpuget's Monkeys in the Dark. And in those, the treatment of Asia was sort of reversed in that the background came into the foreground and played an important, a very important role, and there were important characters from the local community. So what I'm hoping is that there might be, a, particularly now that there are established writers trying their hand in this diasporic genre, that there'll be a deeper grappling with the cultures, ideas and peoples of the almost 30 countries that are covered with Indonesians going to them. Whether it'll happen or not, I don't know. It may be that the boom has passed. It seems that in Indonesia now, possibly associated with COVID, 
there are more films about different exotic parts of Indonesia, that it'd be very interesting to see if it develops in ways that make literature less of just an entertainment, but an entertainment that grapples with the cultures and ideas and the peoples of the countries. What do we know about the authors? You said some are new and becoming well-known. Some are already well-established. There are dozens of authors who are taking part in it. Ilana Tan, I told you, was famous for her Winter in Seoul, Spring in Tokyo series. It's not known who she is, even if it's a lady. I think it is a lady, maybe called Tan, but not Ilana. Then there's five or six people who've just got into the field. One of them is Amin Rice's daughter. She's one of the major writers in the field, though now she may not be productive because she's become, I think, a member of parliament. Quite a lot of women. A number of them have been to the countries that they write about, but not all. Some of them do it from Google. Um, We've talked about the use of these foreign places as exotic backdrops. Is this reflected in the covers of the books? Yes, and the titles, many of the titles are in English or sometimes in French or in Dutch, like Love in Sydney and Melbourne Rewind. The novels are all in Indonesian themselves. And the covers absolutely shamelessly make the most of the sort of tourist spectacle. We've talked a lot about the romance genre. Can you tell us a little bit more about the Islam genre that you've identified? Yes, I thought initially that it would probably be the most interesting genre and I was thinking of taking those ones all out and trying to read them a little more closely. But the ones I did dip into, the novels tended to be very pious. They're almost textbooks in piety, uh, submitting and uh, trying to be strong of soul and then the rewards from belief in God and so on. So these may be attractive to a a pious audience. They're not exactly gripping reading for uh, someone who's not of that faith. But nevertheless, these novels are still set in foreign locales. They are. One point I'd like to make is that it's a long phenomenon, this setting of books and films of Indonesians overseas. The first one I found was in 1919, was a novel called Student Ijo by Marco Carto di Cromo, and that's set partly in Holland. And then there was one in 1938 by Hamka, di Kaaba, uh, under the protection of the Kaaba, which is set partly in Saudi Arabia. So then during the 50s, 60s to 90s, there are occasionally poems, short stories and novels set overseas by a handful of writers, normally because they'd got a scholarship or something in their life had taken them there, so they'd had a period of residence there and they wrote about it, like Enhadini and Rendra and Nasha Jamin and Umar Kayam. So That there is Indonesian literature or also sometimes films set overseas is not an entirely new phenomenon. The new phenomenon is the boom, the absolute boom from, I think it was Eiffel, I Love You, was a terrifically popular film around 2003 or 2004. And that seemed to kick off a boom in interest in these sort of novels and these sort of films. 
It's really great. Such an interesting topic that you've identified. And it will be really interesting to see if it changes. Um, you've already identified some of the changes during COVID, but after COVID and whether it again starts looking beyond Indonesia or if it finds plenty to keep it busy within Indonesia. Yes, if I can say a final thing, there's obviously no way I'm going to read 112 novels that are mostly of Mills and Boone quality and in a foreign language. But what a good research project it would be for a team of young scholars. I'll be looking for people to stick up their hands and do the reading. I just mentioned there's some interest in this phenomenon in Indonesia. There's a lecturer called Pat Norhadi, Universitas Negri Jogja, who's written on it. And there's someone completing a PhD at UGM at the moment on the films set overseas. And people who organise writers' festivals have said before COVID that I should come and speak about this because it's something Indonesians would like to know about themselves. So I'm hoping that an interest in other people, because I don't have time looking at these things, both in Indonesia and overseas, may come about. It seems like there's plenty of material, uh, whether you're interested in novels or films or both, and also plenty of potential collaborators in Indonesia as well. So it is a wonderful research topic that you've identified and you've heard the call. Um, you've heard David Reeve put the call out. So if you're interested, let us know. David, thank you so much for joining us on SIAC Stories. It was a delight to speak with you as always. Thank you very much indeed. You've been listening to SIAC Stories. Brought to you by the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at the University of Sydney. Make sure to keep up with all our CX Stories podcasts by following us on your favourite podcasting app. If you like the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. Every positive review helps new listeners find the show. And of course, let your friends know about us on social media.